0: This week
1: on Dig Me Out.
0: With your hosts, Jason Dia and Tim Manichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out union on Patreon you can help us <laughs> strange emphasis
1: make <laughs> em- the next emphases. episode happen
2: <laughs> emphasis uh, i i did start drinking wine already uh, make the next episode happen by joining us at digmeoutunion.com or digme or dmounion.com we've just had jay this this uh, weekend it's been uh-huh. great we've had three new fork, forks three new forks join join us Folks, three new folks, I'm going to put the wine down, uh, join us uh, at the $2 level, Two level. Sean Brown, Blake, and P. Gutierrez. Welcome all of our new patrons. We're uh, happy Very to cool. have you. Look forward to you commenting on our episodes and our polls and our various posts that go up including uh soon we'll have a new 80s episode that'll be going up. And if you don't know, uh you should check us out because we do 80s episodes as well every other month. And we might even throw in a bonus 80s episode because uh we're we're just sitting at home like everyone else. So we have time to listen to uh some uh Duran Duran or or um whatever. Probably not Duran Duran unless somebody suggests it. I don't think anybody's put that in the hopper mm-hmm. yet.
1: Uh, I think you're right. So if you what's, join us, what's the what's the worst album from the late '80s? That's probably the one we should review. The worst album from the late '80s? Like, are you yeah. talking
2: like a a Vanilla Ice record or no, no, no,
1: no? The Duran Duran. Like, what's the the you know the, the album in the later '80s before they came back in the '90s? That oh, was well, there's that one in like '89.
2: I don't even remember the name of it. It's the one that has they, like no. They? Yeah, it has like no good singles on it. In terms, there's that's no like the hungry like the wolf or, or notorious or anything like that. I mean, that's it, the one for us. Yes, that's the oddball that. <laughs> that's the panorama of uh, of their career. In comparison to uh, the cars, so this week we have one of our patrons on who comes on to talk about a record with us. He was here last year to talk about Powderfinger. This year, Hiller introduced the uh, record, but we're welcoming back Darren Svetson from Canada, Toronto.
0: Toronto, Canada, yeah. Thanks again for having me back, guys. Um, it's hard to believe it's been a year since I talk, spoke to you last. And I, this is my, my third kick of the can here. And the first time was uh, American Band with Marcy Playground's Shapeshifter. Then we went down under last year with Powderfingers Odyssey Number no. 5. But I figured, for my third time, it was time to to pick someone from my home team of Canada. And I, I went through your your vast catalog, and you actually have covered a lot of Canadian bands that uh, you know I wouldn't expect to be known so much in the US. Uh, you know, you've done the Tea Party, Sloan, I Mother Earth, uh, but one band you have not covered is uh, the band we're talking about tonight, called uh, Odds. And the album we're going to be discussing is Good Weird Feeling from 1994.
2: How did you discover Odds? Because I actually am aware of this band. I've listened to them. And I'm curious how you found them.
0: So it's interesting when you live uh, in Canada, you may have heard of the term CanCon, which is Canadian content. So it was a law that was introduced, I think, in the early 70s. Basically, uh, to ensure that Canadian culture in uh, particular with music there was a certain percentage of music that needed to be qualified as Canadian to be played on on radio uh, I think if you look back you know late 60s early 70s if you wanted to make it big in the music industry as a Canadian you had to go down to the U.S. so guess who Neil Young etc uh, so CanCon I think it was a controversial decision at the time and it was viewed as a crutch for a lot of a lot of Canadians said well if you can't make it on your own merits uh, and you have to have forced play, really, are you good enough? And there's probably a lot of examples of bands that that, that did get play both on the radio and uh, Much Music, which is our version of MTV, which also started in the mid-'80s. But I, I think by the 90s, actually, the whole Cancom process really worked, and it did help engender a healthy music scene here, and that's where you saw the bands. I think it really came... It bore fruit in the early to mid-90s when you saw the rise of bands like, like Our Lady Peace, I'm Mother Earth, The Tragically Hip, etc. And The Odds is, is, I think, one of those bands that benefited from that for sure. So they were, uh, I'd say they were probably, they were not A-list like The Hip here or, or Our Lady Peace, but they were a solid uh, B-level uh, group. They did get a lot of play for a few singles on this album. Uh, but I don't know if they really made any any ripples in the U.S. market.
2: Okay, so I think I saw them open for the Hip at some point in the mid '90s because I've mm-hmm. seen the Hip like probably five or six times, and I was at the Live Between Us show in Detroit, the one that got turned yeah. into the live album, and I th- I want to say the Odds opened that show. Um, yeah, because uh. they were they were touring probably. Uh, maybe not for this album, but it went because this was 94 and that was 96, I believe for that. So it might've been the next album or maybe they were, t- I don't know what the,
0: the, um, I think they did the day for night tour for at least part of that. Um... Yes.
2: Well, they were also playing, um, I want to say that, uh, Trouble at the Hen House was out by that point because they play gift shop, uh, mm. I think to open that show. Okay. So... But I want i I know I saw the odds because i I put this record on, and I immediately was like, "I know this band. Like I've heard these oh, yeah. songs before. So, Jay, let me ask you, have you ever listened to odds before this?
1: Have not. And I don't know that I've even heard of them before. So all new to me.
2: All right. Well, do you, know, do you want to get into the history at all with Odds or, or any of their uh, their backstory?
1: History of the band.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't know too, too much about them. I mean, they... Um, I looked on their Wikipedia page as well, and interesting timing, actually, to give a plug to another podcast that's recently started. It's uh, called Raven Drool. It's uh, actually... It's just a guy who, who interviews artists, Canadian artists, from the, the, uh, the 90s. It just started a few months ago. And, and they actually just had Craig Northey, who's one of the, the principal songwriters of the band. He was on their latest episode. Um, so he actually had some good tidbits about how they got started and such. Uh, they actually tried to break... They moved down to L.A. before having a Canadian record deal. And they tried to break the U.S. market first, uh, with limited success, obviously. Uh, but what an interesting tidbit was, they ended up being Warren Zevon's touring band, I believe, in 1990-91. Um, he picked them, they are on the same label, and he was in that process when tours, uh, picking up and coming bands to tour with. And uh, he selected them, so that was an interesting piece of trivia for them. Uh, they released Bedbugs in 1992, I believe, and that uh, had a bit of a novelty song on it called heterosexual man that uh if you look up the video on youtube if you're a kids in the hall fan it actually has three of the kids in the hall uh performing in that video and uh by the time they released this album i think this is probably their breakthrough album in terms of real radio airplay uh outside of just you know alternative college rock uh and after this album they released another one called nest in late 96 which uh did quite well as well, and then they took a hiatus in '99. And uh, they came back, I believe, 10 years ago. And they're still a going concern right now as a touring band.
2: Yes, and at one point, so the other members of the band, besides Craig Northey, are Stephen Drake on guitar, Doug Elliott on bass, and Paul Brennan on drums. That was the original lineup. And then yeah. Brennan left in '95 to play with big sugar and was replaced by pat stewart who had been the drummer for brian adams yes uh, keeping it in brian adams. canadian family canadian royalty yes canadian royalty
0: um yeah i think one of the interesting things for me about this band is the um the shared songwriting of uh, craig Northey and steven drake so we can talk about a bit more later on but they seem to roughly at least in their peak split the songwriting 50 50 and um it's interesting. I find their sounds complement each other well, but for me, I clearly have a strong preference for, at least on this album, for one of the songwriters.
2: Interesting. I didn't pick up on. Uh, maybe you did, Jay, but I didn't pick up on two separate like styles. With
1: yeah, I find
0: their voices too are actually are very similar. So it's even for me. It's hard sometimes to unless you really concentrate to figure out which which one is singing.
2: Gotcha. I do remember... um, I believe that uh, Eat My Brain might have been the single that we played at WFAL in the 90s when this came out, because this would have been right around the time when um, I was, you know, like, assistant music director or something. So I want to say that, like... I know Truth Untold was, and... I don't know if it was an official single. That might have just been one that we picked.
0: Yeah, so for this album, there's, there's videos for, and so I singles for Truth Untold was the first one released in Canada. Uh, Eat My Brain was the second single, which was quite successful on modern rock here. And then there was a third single uh, called Satisfied. That's, uh, and the first two were the Stephen Drake written songs, and the, the third and final was Craig Northey.
2: Okay. And then, uh, so this came out on w e a uh, and we, well, in the in Canada, and then sire in the u s um uh, w e a being I think that's Warner is that Warner Electra? or I think so. yeah, Warner Electra Atlantic. It's yeah. that giant merger. We-uh. And um, I don't have any chart info on this record, unfortunately.
0: I well, know. I don't think it made any ripple in the U.S. I and mean, uh, he, again, here, they really benefited from much music, a net, you know, similar to MTV in the U.S., but on a smaller scale. But they, Right. They, we, much music can't be overstated for how it broke bands here in Canada, bands like uh, Our Lady Peace, The Hip moist our mother earth and uh, the odds were no exception
2: i don't know how but i remember watching much music maybe because bowling green is so close you know it's only an hour from uh detroit which obviously yeah. is right near to windsor so there must have been some sort of channel that picked it up but i remember watching much music and seeing like this alternate world <laughs> of yeah of canadian music <laughs> yeah Uh, So let's get into some comments over at the the Patreon page. Jeremy Amen said, I've heard Bedbugs and Nest, but somehow never heard this album. Gotta mention how hilariously divided up their catalog is on Apple Music, partially due to them losing their rights to the band name at some point. Much of this album sounds like it could be the soundtrack to So I Married an Axe Murderer if that movie didn't already have a soundtrack. That's a compliment at best and an observation opinion at worst i'm not finished just listening yet but i'm thinking this will be a worthy album for me um and then he said leave it there is perennially a perennially i can't say that word topical song isn't it yep a worthy album and then richard waterman said new patron listen listened on my ipod for a couple of days and i really like this album the next album nest is good too The other albums I can do without, though, overall, it reminds me of about 10 other bands like Crowded House, Counting Crows, Summer Camp, Fountains of Wayne. There are some elements of power pop and straight pop with some decent harmonies and cool riffs and acoustic touches. Favorite track, Leave It There, Good Tracks, Truth Untold, Smokescreen, Break the Bed. And Jeremy followed up with, I felt like I was also hearing a little Elvis Costello in there. Hmm. So those are our commenters over at Patreon for this. And I, we'll get into the actual voting that was done on this record as we like to put up a poll for whenever a album is going to be reviewed. So Jay, why don't you tell us one thing you liked about good weird feeling by odds?
1: The You, you touched on um, a couple different things there. I'm going to focus on probably the one that that will get talked about the least, <laughs> um, which is it's got some good grooves on it. Like I think when you hear this band on the surface, it's, you get the harmonies, you get the pop songwriting, uh, it, it gets close to power pop at times, um, really good vocals, uh, some really cool guitars. But there's, I, I find myself gravitated to, Songs like Truth Untold, Break the Bed, and Eat My Brain, which have these really cool, um, even any anybody else but me have these really cool, like um, swaggery grooves to them, you know, very competent, uh, solid drumming with a lot of feel. Um, bass heavy, really great bass tone, um, you know, cool rolling bass lines that just keep this keep the groove moving and then over top of that then they're able to bring all that other like flavor the you know really cool guitar leads pretty good riffs um some good guitar tones and then vocally you've got you know very good lead vocals but also the ability to do these harmonies so to me it really comes together on those songs that have that really um distinctive kind of groove. At times, it's almost Pixies-ish. Other times, like anybody else but me, it almost has like a vintage Rolling Stones kind of groove to it, um, which is kind of hard to pull off. Um, But a lot of the record is mid-tempo-ish, so it also helps when the band can get in a really tight pocket. Um, It brings everything together, um, and instead of it feeling kind of sleepy, it, it feels more... You know, just rhythmic and together, tighter. Um, so that's something I, I I liked quite a bit and found myself, you know the songs that I was coming back into and wanting to play over were the were the ones that were most groove heavy. So I'm gonna leave with that. interesting.
2: Jay going with the grooves, not a common occurrence. I like it. Um, what do you got? Well, I'm a sucker for the the big. Hooks and harmonies on this record. Like to me, the stuff that works best is the lyrics and the hooks that get jammed into my brain and they just sit there. So, songs like Truth Untold, Eat My Brain, Oh Sorrow, Oh Shame has a great hook in that song. And then lyrically, there are a lot of songs that are, you know, one of the things I loved about The Hip is Gord, Gord Downey's songwriting ability to tell really oddball stories in, in three, four minutes. So a song like The Last Drink, which is about a guy carrying around an urn of, crema, of a, you know, someone who's been cremated. And it's just weird and i I dig that. I like that oddballness that goes with these pop songs in terms of the music that are very catchy. and you know, like you mentioned, Jay, the grooves really help to keep these songs moving, and you don't get you know terribly bored with them. But I like that there are some oddball strange. Choices for lyrical twists and turns. And then the harmonies obviously, you know, stacked on top of that, just add a killer element that so many bands can't do because they don't have two songwriters like this band does. Mm -hmm. So, Darren, tell us what works best for you on this record.
0: Yeah, so I'm very much aligned with you guys, actually. Uh, Particularly, I really find it... There's the a clear demarcation between the the more the groove, uh, for lack of a better word, the, the rockier songs, when, and the ones you mentioned, uh, Jay, are actually those are the ones that uh, Craig Northey wrote and sang, versus the ones that are a little bit more to me melodic, more crowded house esque almost uh, Rembrandt esque uh, There's one song in particular that. that just reminds me of the theme from Friend. Um, so I really lean more towards the the, the heavier, the more Pixie-like songs. Particularly, I've always loved Break the Bed, and I find it's a bit of an outlier on the rest of the album. Just even the production just sounds so much more raw to me. It almost doesn't sound like the same band that's then singing a few songs later satisfied. Um, so I, I, I definitely lean towards the more groove-oriented songs as well. I think they're both very strong songwriters, and I and I agree with you, Tim, on the on the songwriting, but a little bit of the the uh, very melodic uh, approach with some left to center lyrics.
2: And I like in in Break the Bad and and in some other songs like Leave It There, where they rock out a bit. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're not afraid to like turn the guitar up and shred. Like Leave It There has some great just shredding guitar going on uh in the second half of that song and that's not something you hear a lot from a band that is so poppy it tends to they tend to be a little bit more restrained whereas this band just like hits the distortion pedal and goes on some songs which is fun it's it was not expected to hear them take that approach because truth untold is such a like well-structured but you know sort of restrained pop song and that's how their their pop side works so then when you get these album tracks that are very very much looser that it's um a nice change of pace and i agree with you jay that um like stonesy feel that's hard to pull off Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people bag on charlie watts for not being like the most technically proficient drummer but you try to play the drum beat to some of those slower Stone songs that are deceptively difficult because he's able to keep the tempo upbeat while the slowest song, and it gives
1: you this yeah. weird propulsion. Nobody else can play the Stones with the same feel. I've never heard anybody cover a Stone song where you're like, that's the right feel. It's always, I mean, you can, I've heard some great Stones covers, but they don't sound like the Stones. Right. And that's all because of Charlie Watts. So, yeah, I know that they get close to that kind of vibe, at least on anybody else but me, um, which I really like. And and I think the guitar, I I, I second that as well. And that, you know, something like Truth Untold, it's a a fine enough pop song, you know, kind of is in this squeeze kind of, you know, mid-crowded house kind of space. But then when that guitar solo comes in, Mm -hmm. and when those leads come in, it just it just injects this life into it all of a sudden like the band comes alive even though like the rest of the band isn't you know playing any louder necessarily or changing but there's just something about just sonically it just opens up and becomes something much uh more dynamic i guess uh and that happens throughout the record whenever they let their guitar you know be a little fuzzed out and just a little noisy um i, I really enjoy that aspect uh, too
2: You know what it strangely reminded me of is the first Travis record, in that yeah. they had these like really well constructed little pop Brit pop songs, and then the guitarist would just like go nuts for thirty seconds yeah. at some point in the song and you'd be like whoa yeah like, that dude clearly wants to shred, and he's he's finding his little spots to do it yeah um but it, it reminded me a lot of that in the in the way that they're able to construct really tight pop songs with great melodies over top and then hit you with something that you're not expecting like energy wise
1: well and that Travis that Travis album is a great example of that too I think what it's doing at least for me in both those cases this record and the Travis record is that that becomes like the human element you know when the band is like really well crafted and like um super precise and it all sounds beautiful and great there's just this chaotic human element that comes in whenever you fire up that guitar, you know, and it's noisy and it's not always pretty. I mean, to me, that is the the cool contrast and the thing that just gives it that heartbeat. Um, that's that's uh, so crucial.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I I listened to their follow up album, um, Nest. They they. Unfortunately, he seemed to lean more into the pop side of things, and, and really uh, didn't uh, plug in the amps quite as much on that album. So I don't know if that was uh, any tension between you know the, the the dualities of the songwriting between the I think uh, again Craig Northey was much more that raw sound, and uh, oh sorry uh, Stephen Drake was more sure that raw sound, and Craig Northey was more the melodic, more crowded house esque pop sensibility. But uh, I definitely prefer this
2: sound. Well, and it provides great kind of tension because you can hear that there's songs where they just want to, like, get loud and rip. And then there's also these really sort of well-crafted pop songs. And then there's these in-betweens that are... Like, "Radio, Radios of Heaven is a good example. Mm-hmm. It's got that, like... Energy where it could have been like a really poppy song, but it's a it's like maybe more a little more XTC or something is influenced on that song or something. I don't know. there's like some weird pop elements on some of these songs that they just like they they knew where their singles were. And then there's yeah. some of the songs that could have been singles, but they're like,, eh, let's do something a little bit weirder on this song and just not quite as as poppy as the real poppy songs.
1: Yeah. Readers Ru- Ru- of Heaven is the closest they get to sounding like Sloan to me. And you know, that was probably the closest comparison I can make for that song. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm a huge
0: Sloan fan. Uh, so this, is, this was right in my wheelhouse. Um,
2: yeah. So, Jay, what didn't work for you on this record?
1: Well, I'm not a. F- I, d- I don't love when they. The, the album gets. Um, pretty, pretty slow and quiet towards the latter half. Um, there's some pockets there. The last drink sounds like Toad the Wet Sprocket. Uh, Mercy to go sounds like a Crowded House album track. Um, I like any anybody else but me. Um, and we'll talk uh, at the latter half of the record, but it feels like from basically Break the Bed forward. Um, the quiet stuff starts to lose my attention. Um, it's just a little like when they don't have that either that that heavy groove going on, or they have the guitar riffs, um, or if the vocal is not very like um, you know expressive um, and, and emotive, then it just gets into this very like white bread wonder bread kind of generic pop sound. That's like vaguely 80s, vaguely early 90s, but not really compelling or distinct. So that's the stuff that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Like when you listen to it, you're like, okay, this is a well-written song and the performances are good. There's just nothing about it that grabs you like some of those other tunes. Um, You know, the last drink might be, you know, a, a good example of what I'm talking about.
2: I, I, completely agree with you like track four i would be your man is like mm-hmm. the good version of doing that like that to me almost sounded like yeah. a, a super drag song about yeah. the way he's singing that but then uh, totally Is <laughs> it like mercy to go was I, I didn't have that same expressiveness that and i like will talk the last because it's it's got a little bit of propulsion to it even though it's a quieter song and yes yeah. it's it's got you know a oomph going on whereas yeah. there's just a few tracks that even though i like the lyrics in the last drink i do agree with you it's kind of I don't know that to what Sprocket is necessarily a negative thing, but it it just didn't well, like have a, yeah. a much musically that I was that interested in.
1: I, I just mean that it's like vaguely folky alternative yeah. rock without like a really compelling element. Um,
2: yeah, I agree with you. What doesn't work for you on on this record, Darren? If anything,
0: yeah. Again, I'm actually very lined. With what you both have said, I, I, I do think the back half of the album, there's a bit of a glut of just these mid tempo, uh, we didn't call them ballads per se, but just mid tempo pop songs. Um, I mean, Oh Sorrow, Oh Shame, The Last Drink, Mercy the Go. and they're To me, they're pretty much interchangeable and they all sound, which is, I'm surprised I'm saying this because they, uh, to me, they sound very much like, uh, especially someone like Oh Sorrow, Shame could be on uh, Crowded House's Woodface album, uh, yeah. and I love Crowded House, but they just—it's just a little bit too much of the same thing for me. So, uh, for me, if I, I would probably just of the five or six mid tempos, I'd keep two or three of them.
2: So, I mean, this record sounds really good, and I had a hard time figuring out who the producer was, because if you go to Discogs. The producer is listed as Nigel the Cat, who only has produced Odds <laughs> Records.
0: So th- it's funny you mentioned this because, again, I, I just learned this on the podcast I listened to uh, just on the weekend. They actually self produced this. And the joke was uh, Craig Northey had a cat called Nigel. And uh, so the, I can't remember the reason why, but they didn't want to list it as self produced. So they said, oh, Nigel the Cat, who was the producer. So it sounded vaguely like a UK club producer.
2: Because <laughs> it says that Susan Rogers is credited with additional production and recorded by, and she has like a a big career in terms of who she's she's worked with David Byrne and she's worked with uh, the Bare Naked Ladies and I think at one point there was she'd worked with um worked on a Prince Record and worked with Wendy and Lisa so she's she's had some, you know, worked with Gegita, <laughs> if you remember Gegita, oh, Rusted right. Root, Gaggy-ta. and um. So I thought maybe she was the one behind the board, but I guess it was a cat. Their cat was doing it. So. Yeah. Um, but it's I I feel this sounds listening to it. It did not sound dated to me. Like this doesn't have a, I I don't know, you can, you know disagree with me Jay if you like but this sounds like pretty contemporary there's no absolutely pinpoint points of this sounds like the 90s in terms of guitar tones or you know
1: reverb or anything like that uh yeah no I think um production wise it's it's a really nice sounding record um, and not dated at all you know I, I I think some of the material when it gets in that generic realm, I think of like what I kind of already talked about, right? That generic pop, alt-pop stuff from the 90s. But other than that, there's nothing about the production that's necessarily um, 90s sounding. So why wasn't this huge in the United
2: States? What did... Hmm. <sighs> oh. That's a. I gr- I mean, I, as I get older, I realize...
0: I used to think this when I was in my my teens and early 20s, and all these bands that were huge on much music. I was like, how come they don't make a dent in the US? And the biggest example, of course, being a band like The Hip that uh, I think regionally could do well in Buffalo and certain markets, but they were headliners here. Like they could fill out, sell out arenas here. I I just think it's a matter of um, when you're Canadian. yeah, you know, first uh, it's uh, the the markets ten times bigger the, the amount of work needed to crack the markets bigger so unless you are able to get your song at MTV uh, I think you're it's a tough go and uh, going back to the whole Canadian content rule I've done some reading where it actually it backfired at least it, you, you see a lot of bands that make a decent living in Canada uh, but we're a small market overall like the size of California um, but there actually was resistance from U.S. record companies saying, "Well, yeah, yeah, they're big in Canada, but they have those Canadian content rules, so basically they're mandated to be played on the radio or on much music. So, how good are they really?" So, uh, I, I think, you know, taking that all out of co- at, at, into account, I think just on their own merits, clearly this is a, a very talented band, strong songwriting. They had the hooks and the and the and the uh And the songs, I just think sometimes it's just a matter of timing and uh, a bit of luck.
1: Yeah, I think I I feel like it can make the same case for nearly every Canadian band that we talk about on the podcast and that it seems to check all the boxes, but there was something, I don't know, um, like Darren's saying, either business-wise or some other factor in play for why more of these bands didn't break through in the US because there's... It's all there, um, and I think this is a great example. There's there's no reason yeah. why several of these songs couldn't have been, uh, you know, mainstream uh, rock radio uh, plays in the U.S. at this time.
0: Yeah, I think the only difference really between a band like this and say the Bare Naked Ladies is Bare Naked Ladies had, you know, they were similar to the odds in the early to mid '90s in Canada in terms of level of success, and then they had one week, which was. Yeah. You know, we could call that a novelty song, but it was huge. And you know after that they were they were they were set for life essentially uh, and unless you have a song like that, then you are relegated to making you know a decent working career as a touring musician. I'm sure they all have you know modest sized houses and they're doing what they love, but they're not certainly not wealthy by any means
2: well that's makes it that I, I, so i wonder if eat my brain was their chance at like a one week style if it had the right video you know mm-hmm. if, if it could have been their sex and candy or it could have been their you know new radicals type song or is it is it just not quite good enough to make it to that level in the u.s i don't know but that's that's yeah, the song that's I, always stuck in my head as far as this record goes.
0: Yeah, I think I could have easily. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm biased as a Canadian, but you know, to me, you know, I, I think less. I maybe because just who we are here in Canada, it's less of whether a Canadian or American. It's just ultimately about the songs, and you know, I, I do think these songs and stand on their own merits, irrespective of what country they come from.
2: Well, as an honorary Canadian, because I grew up in Buffalo, yeah, uh, I've always had a I've always had a soft spot for, uh, you know, both uh, Canadian music and hockey night in Canada on the CBC. So it was how I spent my Saturday nights uh, as a teen. So I'm always looking for an opportunity to get some Canadian love on this show. But what we have to do here. Right now is decide if we're actually going to uh, give this the full love or partial love and that means that's not a really
1: <laughs> what
2: <laughs> we're the album <laughs> better what EP. are we about to do right now <laughs> we're, we're the album better EP decent single full Tim, love. we're
1: social we're supposed to be distancing
2: I know dude we can't full love right now we've been social distancing since two thousand eleven we're the pros <laughs> People should come to us about how to properly social distance. Uh, that's what we got to do, you know. Render judgment—that's what the people want. And when I, after we give our judgment, I'll share the one from our, our Patreon page. Cool. What do you say, Jay? Were the album better EP, decent single?
1: I say a better EP. It's very close. Uh, my EP would have "Truth Untold," "Radios of Heaven." I would be your man. Break the bed. Eat my brain. Any, anybody else but me, to me, is the best slow song of the second half of the record. Um, and I think we Will Talk is a nice album ender. So I'm at, what, like seven tracks?
2: It's pretty close. So,
1: so uh, I think that would make a really, really strong EP.
2: I'm at a worthy record with nine songs. I would take the ones that you said and I would add Leave It There and Smokescreen. So, that's my Worthy album. So, a little yeah. bit of a disagreement there. Darren, where are you at?
0: I'm also at a Worthy album, but I would cut a few tracks off. So, um, probably in between you two guys, uh, I probably there's a good solid nine or ten songs here for me. I'd, I'd probably take out Mercy To Go, The Last Drink. And I wasn't as big a fan of Rados of, of Heaven either. So, that gets me down to ten tracks, but... Those 10 songs, um, it's pretty solid for me.
2: So on our Patreon page, it was 75% worthy album, 25% decent single. My, oh uh. my, someone was not a, uh, <laughs> a fan of this record beyond one or two songs. So, but where the album went out. All right. Darren, thank you for bringing this record to us. I'm glad we got to revisit this. This was a band I completely forgot about until I heard them and went, I totally remember them. And uh, I like when that happens. So thank you.
0: Oh, good. You're very welcome. That's right. And Dig Me Out's Wheelhouse.
2: Have we, have we done a moist record? We did a moist record, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we, we did the first did, one. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to So, think what's of- the
0: rule there? If, you, if an album has been covered, then are, are they ineligible for
2: their for, for albums to be reviewed? Well, the album is, but not the band. Take it case-by-case.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, oh, we've done... Uh, we've done two albums done twice.
2: We've done both Paw records.
0: Yeah. We've done... Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. There's been one or two others. There's been yeah. a few others, oh, right. yeah. Uh,
2: I know there have been. I mean, I just GNR, you did GNR, Use your illusion one and two. Which is two <laughs> right. records, yeah. technically. There's t- yeah. Those are two records that are released on the same day. I'm trying to remember. Who else have we done two records? It's probably, and you know, what's funny is it's been bands that like you wouldn't expect us to do two records, but we ended up doing two records. I don't remember. I don't remember who the other ones were, but I know there were more. The two timer yeah. club. Okay. So if All you right. wanted to Good, you know out. suggest, uh, was there another moist record in the 90s?
0: Oh yeah. Uh yeah, there was. The Moist had a good album out in the late '90s. Uh, what was it called? Was that Mercedes, Mercedes Five and Die? Yeah, okay. And then did Creature
2: like- come out in two thousands? No, Creature's the sucker. Creature
0: was '96 here. I Mother Earth had a great album after Dig, which actually was their, their their big breakthrough album here in Canada called Scenery and Fish. And then six months later, Edwin quit the band, which was. Uh, was kind of it was our version of uh, you know, uh David Lee Roth quitting Van Halen on a much smaller scale
1: <laughs> sure
0: much smaller
1: I mother earth- smaller. my mother earth is uh Canada's van Halen
0: uh, well, at least from the lead singer point of view
1: Wow I had no idea
2: I would think it would be if Getty Lee left rush that would be their version of Can- of Van Halen yeah it's true. Yeah, bad. Analogy. Or whoever sings like, for Triumph. I don't know who sings for Triumph. but uh, Rick Emmett. Okay, see. <laughs> we yeah. learned
0: this in school here in Canada. I,
2: it's a part of the Can Rock uh, <laughs> class uh, that you have to take.
0: It's part of the CanCon rules you have to take uh, you know, when you go to Can Camp in. in the summers. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I uh, want to remind everyone Patreon is where you go, where you can join us to support the podcast, like the uh, folks we mentioned at the top of the show who have recently joined us. We have all sorts of different tiers based on what your interests are in receiving, whether it's a sticker. We also do these t-shirts that Jay designed, which are pretty cool. Uh, We also do polls for not only albums that are suggested via via our website, but we also do... Polls for roundtables and for 80s episodes uh, at our steering level committee. And then, of course, you can sign up for our new box newsletter where we send out weekly one-minute reviews of new records released relevant to the 80s and 90s. And then we also post the upcoming release calendar along with whatever's been going on in Dig Me Outland for the past week. Good way to stay up to date on all of the constantly shifting release dates. Thanks to yeah, the kidding. current <laughs> coronavirus issues and inability to press vinyl, which I just saw another band today said, sorry, we're going to miss our release date. Uh, so that sucked. That was Shiner, by the way, who I've been really looking forward to because that second single was awesome that they released. And then they announced they don't, they're not going to have the vinyl for next month. <clears throat> so,
1: but they're going to put the, the digital out on time. Yeah, or? They're, gonna, they're still no. going
2: to release the digital, but, Gotcha. They don't know when the vinyl is going to come out because the, yep. nobody's pressing vinyl right now or selling vinyl.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Crazy. Uh, gotcha. And then, of course, Apple Podcasts, if you like the show, please leave us some positive feedback there. Darren, once again, thank you for coming on. We look forward to revisiting uh, or visiting again with you uh, next year. Hopefully, we have left our house by then
0: yeah thanks again guys It's always a pleasure to speak with both of you and uh hopefully next year uh yeah, I'll be sitting out in my backyard at least uh if', if uh things will clear up in a in a couple of weeks or a couple of months at best
2: yes hopefully the the it will not be based on a military release uh that you're allowed one yard one hour in the yard uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as as the u s has crumbled from uh, economic yeah.
1: collapse <laughs> Darren, we don't know how things are going to go down here. If they get a little squirrely, uh, could you take us in?
0: <laughs> sure, I got room in the basement.
1: Cool. I'm in Texas. I, I, things could go either direction at any time. So. Jay, you're better off going
2: into Mexico because I think they're doing better yeah. than us at this point. So you, you should might want to get you might want to get that Babbel app and start working on your uh,
1: your Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Spanish.
2: Uh, you're Spanish, yes. How do you say it,
1: dig me out in Spanish? <laughs> I, I don't
2: know, but now I'm gonna Google it. <laughs> English to Spanish. And the text is dig me out. Uh, it's one word and there's no way I can say it. Desenter Wait, let me see. There's an option. Descentrame. That's how you say it. I had I used the audio. Uh, option for pr- pronunciation. So, I wonder if podcast is also translatable. No, it doesn't translate. <laughs> Desentrame podcast. Uh, you're
0: you're you're stuck in Texas then.
2: <laughs> Shit. All right. Bye, Jay. Good knowing you.
1: <sighs> it's a big state. Oh, I can hide.
2: Plenty of ground to cover on that in that state. All right. So for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
1: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast,
0: visit www.patreon.com forward slash Dig Me Out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.